Well, hello, my friend, and welcome to today's episode of Seven Figure Millennials, where together, you and I are choosing to do things differently. We are choosing, we're committing to prioritizing our happiness, health, and relationships while we build a business that creates a meaningful impact in the lives of the people that we love and generating the wealth for us to design a beautiful life on our terms. And if you are here as a first-time listener or a seasoned listener, I love you. I appreciate you so much for taking the time out of your day today to expand and grow. Every single week, I'm interviewing incredible humans that have made and are continuing to make a massive impact in the world so that you can take what they're sharing with you to create a massive impact yourself. So I am so excited to introduce you to today's guest. And there's a little bit of a story that goes behind this. Actually, I interviewed John Vroman several years ago, and he mentioned this book called The Core Value Equation that changed his life. I kind of bought it then, but I didn't go into it until I heard the topic of core values coming up over and over and over again as one of the most important topics to help drive both business success and also personal success. And so I am so excited to introduce you to today's legendary leader of impact, Darius Mershazadeh. In this episode, you're going to learn so much, but I want you to look out for three specific things. Number one, what pink unicorns, you heard me correctly, pink unicorns have to do with growing a company to over $200 million a year in annual revenue. What the heck could that be? I guess you're going to have to listen to figure that one out. Number two, how Darius got his start cleaning gas station bathrooms. Crazy, crazy cool story. And number three, how you can leverage core values to drive results, create limitless scale, and win the war for talent. So who is Darius? Darius is a high growth CEO, serial entrepreneur, and culture building mad scientist. Darius successfully grew his first company, Twin Capital Mortgage, to become number 40 in the Inc. 5000 list. And then Darius grew his next company, The Money Source, from 30 to 1,000 employees and over $200 million in annual revenue in just three years. He successfully exited TMS in 2020, which was the money source. Uh, As a CEO of TMS, Darius was ranked number nine on Glassdoor's list of top CEOs of small and medium companies in the US and won numerous awards, including the number three best place to work by San Francisco Business Times and the prestigious Stevie Award for the Employer of the Year. Since exiting TMS, Darius has gone on to publish the number one bestseller, The Core Value Equation. He is also the host of a top 100 business podcast, The Greatness Machine. Although in chatting with him after, I think it's top 10 business podcast now, he's uh, getting some massive growth in that. Anyways, in 2020, Darius began working with high growth companies, teaching them his scale system, the scale map method. And Darius now mentors, coaches, and invests in seven, eight, and nine figure CEOs interested in building world-class core value-driven organizations. I said it earlier and I'll say it again. I truly believe that core values are one of the most important things that you could be focusing on. So listen in on this episode and... I just cannot give, you'll hear me in the episode, I give a massive endorsement for his book, but I read so many books as a result of this podcast, and this is not one to miss. Uh, It is very action-oriented, very applicable, and it is the best best resource that I've ever seen on how to develop effective core values. So would highly recommend that you check that out. Uh, I don't do that at the beginning of every episode, but this one I want to, because I think it can really change your life. So with all that said, please enjoy this incredible episode with Darius Mirshazadeh. If you had to pick between A, making a ton of money, B, being happy, healthy, and surrounded with people you love, or C, making a meaningful impact on the world, which would you choose? The good news is that today we don't have to choose. 
So the question is, how can entrepreneurs like you and me, who have a vision for our lives and aren't willing to settle for anything less, how can we become financially successful and have a big impact while prioritizing our happiness, health, and relationships? You and I are on a mission to find out, and we have an incredible journey ahead of us. My name is Brandon Fong, and welcome to the 7 Bigger Millennials Podcast. Darius, my friend, welcome to the show. Super excited to have you here. This is going to be a blast. <laughs> Brandon, thanks for having me, man. Of course, of course. So I thought uh, a really fun place to start in doing my research and, and reading the book uh, is actually something that is sitting on your wall. I'm looking at it right now in Darius's beautiful background, but pink unicorns. Uh, you know, I think people might have heard your bio and be like, this crazy, awesome entrepreneur, but pink unicorns own a special place in your heart. I know they're very important. So I'd love for you to tell a little bit about the myth uh, the, and how the pink unicorn came about and what it means to you. <laughs> Yeah, you know, it's it started off as something kind of fun, actually. So my my um, <clears throat> youngest son, who will be thirteen in three weeks, was three, so it was about a decade ago, and he was just obsessed with My Little Pony. I mean, like obsessed. He so talked about Pie Pinkie Pie Pony and all these. He's just like the kid was obsessed with it. And so my wife, who's very artistic, she's like a, kind of a craftsperson would make us these t-shirts for Christmas every year. She'd make us a custom made like, like screen printed t-shirt. Um, and she'd been doing it for years. And so for that year, she made us matching pink unicorn t-shirts. In fact, the below the pink unicorn head over my shoulder, it looks like a picture of a pink unicorn. That's actually the t-shirt that she made me. Um, and so she makes me this black t-shirt with a pink unicorn, like that's iron on it. It was an iron on that she did actually. And then she made my son one. And so I wore it to my company um, at the time, the money source. I wore it on our casual Friday. This is a decade ago when there, when there people still did casual Fridays um, rest of the week with business casual. And so I, I wore jeans and t-shirt and sports coat cause I'm a CEO and I'm wearing this black t-shirt with a pink unicorn on it. And my team at the time, we probably had, this is like summertime of 2014. So I don't know, maybe I had a hundred employees or something like that. Um, they just went nuts. They were like, Oh my God, <laughs> man. Oh my God. We want one of those. And I was like, all right, well, if you guys hit your numbers, I'll get you guys pink unicorn t-shirt. So I, so it became this like thing in my company where I started promoting it. Um, and my company, we'll talk more about it because it's in the book. It was a core value driven organization. <clears throat> and so I said, all right, if we hit our numbers. And so every day I'd send out these emails. I'm like, I'm going to call upon the power of the pink unicorn that we're going to hit our numbers. <laughs> like, and I just kept, I was just sending them like, if you Google pink unicorn, I'd find these like crazy pictures and like drawings of pink unicorns and send it out to the team. So they hit the, they hit the number. I buy my whole team pink unicorn t-shirts. Um, and then we would have these events and everyone would wear the pink unicorn t-shirts. So then I said, all right. I'm like, wow, this has like gone viral in my company. And I said, okay. Well, I'm going to raise the bar. So I had always had this idea of creating like a letterman's jacket for the company. So I did a pink. So what I had said was if we hit our numbers at the time, it was, we had to fund like $200 million with the loans. I said, if we fund, we were mortgage company. I said, if we fund $200 million with the loans, I'm going to get you all pink unicorn track suits. So like, like Adidas track suits with a pink unicorn on it. And, and my team just got after it and they hit the goal. So then, then I bought everyone pink unicorn track suits so now it's like you think of like a sports team, like everyone's wearing pink unicorn t-shirt, pink unicorn track suits, like a black Adidas track suit with a little screen screen, uh, uh, silk screen, pink unicorn on it. And it just, it went crazy. Like my company was like, they started calling themselves pink unicorns. 
And so then I told my business partner, I'm like, hey, let's put a 10 foot pink unicorn on the wall and it became the mascot of the business. Now our business was a super boring business. It's mortgage lending and servicing. And I said, you know, I think this should be our mascot. And I think it should stand for what we stand for. Now at the time we had a core value driven organization. Our core purpose was to grow happiness. So I said, we, the, the pink unicorn stands as a mythical creature that no one thinks believes in the mortgage that it exists in the mortgage industry, which that at the time was not a very happy industry. I said, we stand for happiness in the mortgage industry, which is a mythical creature, uh, mm -hmm. but it's real. And we are, we, we represent it. And and so that, and that was it from that point forward. I mean, it went crazy in my company company ended up growing to a thousand employees. Everyone's calling themselves pink unicorns. You had to earn your track suits. And, and when I, and so I, I you know, fast forward to a couple of years ago, I ended up, um, leaving the company, exiting the company. And, and I, when I left, I said, well, I'm taking that with me. And I took the pink unicorn with me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm the pink unicorn. I'm one with it. <laughs> it's my, I, I'm like, I, I brought it. It's mine. I'm taking it. Now, if you, <laughs> if you go there though, there's, that's still the mascot of the company and it's all over the place, but it's mine too. I love that. And so I, I had highlighted this, this came a lot later in your book, but I just, this made me smile when I saw it, that I, I highlighted this when I was 16 years old, I had the amazing opportunity of being class president of my high school. Uh, so when you look at that and you were like the spirited guy, you were being spirit, does that ever kind of strike you as like, wow, that's kind of crazy that I had this kind of inner genius as a 16 year old and that it ended up translating into your leadership and, and leveraging mascots and spirit to, to create culture and community? Uh, no, it wasn't like, it was like super intentional. So for me, like, uh, like have you ever seen the movie election with Reese Witherspoon? I haven't. Uh, it's a good movie. So it's all about like class, like school government and stuff like that. But I was really involved with, with high school, like government. I was the president of my class and, and I really liked the spirited. I was voted most spirited in my graduating class. So I was just like that, like that getting people fired up and being engaged and, it was just something that came naturally mm. for me and doing and marketing, you know, was also something that kind of came naturally for me. So I've always been a promoter. Um, and it was just like, I, it's just something that made sense. Like you look at sports teams, sports teams do it. High schools do it. Universities do it. I'm like, well, this is really easy. If they do it. Then companies should do it. So for, from my seat, it was just a very strategic move that mm. it works in all these other places. It works with fraternities, it works with sororities, it works with universities. Why would you not have that in your company? It gives yeah. someone something to rally around that makes them greater than themselves. And, and it was just something that was kind of a next logical step in building a high performing engaged organization. And for me, when I became an entrepreneur, I always wanted to do that. I just didn't know how to do it by design. Mm. And the book, you know, the core value equation is really my story of how I figured out how to design for this in an organization. Yeah. Um, it, it was me leveraging my natural talents. Like uh, I was born this way, you know, I was born to be engaged and I was born to entertain people. And, and, and I did it when I was 15 and I did it when I was, I did it, I do it in my personal life all the time. Um, it, it was just me bringing my, my, my personal self to my businesses but being very thoughtful about how can you use it to actually scale your business. And and so mm. it wasn't, it was far from by chance. It was definitely very intentional.
Yeah. Well, I love seeing that is like, you're just living in alignment with who you always were, you know? And so like, it's, we're all on this journey of discovering and being more aligned with that inner genius that was uh, expressed at that very early age. And you've been able to expand that, which is so cool. So of course, we're going to dive into the core value equation and, and how people can leverage this and the power of it. But I want people to have a little bit more context about you. So they, they know you're a fun dude that likes wearing pink unicorn t-shirts. They, they're, they're kind of alluding to that already. They heard your bio, but you didn't always start here. You didn't always have the these, these, um, you know, cultures and movements. And you, I, I, as I heard your story on other, another podcast, I learned, I heard you on, um, I just think it's really Im- impactful. And I think that I would love for you to share your story about where you got your start earlier on. Um, I found out that you spent a lot of time in gas station bathrooms, and I would love for you to explain a little bit about that, uh, and, and what that has to do with your journey. Yeah. You're like, I'm like, you're like, you're like that. Were you a prostitute Darius? Um, <laughs> Like, like most story, most stories do not start with someone starting in the gas station bathroom, ending up a CEO of a, of a <laughs> company, but, it, but it is possible. No. Um, so my dad was an entrepreneur, came to the United States, uh, was part of the whole Iranian revolution, um, left Iran when, uh, we were very young. I was born in the States, but moved back there. And then we, we fled during, um, in 1979 when the, they took the American hostage scandal that happened. It was a global phenomenon. So we left. My dad came to the United States and started. He was an entrepreneur, though. He started get, buying gas stations and building them up and selling them, and that was his business he was in. So as a kid, I worked for my dad, and uh, my dad was, you know, real estate guy and entrepreneur guy. And I, I was, I, I, I realized as an adult that I was the only person I knew whose dad was an entrepreneur. Um, so I grew up watching someone be an entrepreneur and make money without like pay. You know, there was no like paycheck. There was no boss. Um, so for me and my brother, I have a twin brother and I have a little sister for me and my twin brother, at least though, we grew up like in, in Persian culture. My mom's American. My dad's Persian. Uh, the dads kind of have a heavy hand with the kids, with the boys. So we ended up working for my dad as gas station, but by summer going into sixth grade by fifth grade. So I was working as a gas station attendant when I was literally 10 years old, like in summer going into sixth grade. Um, and that was one of my jobs was I had to clean gas station bathroom, which is a disgusting, terrible job. Um, <laughs> but if you want to teach your kids what they don't want to do, like go make them work in a gas station and go make them do that type of work. But so we did hard work, sweeping the lots, cleaning the pumps, changing tires, checking oil, full service, you name it. And I realized really early on, I'm like, I don't want to do this. I would never want this job. Um, but my parents made us do a lot of jobs we didn't like, cause they wanted us to learn like what how hard life can be. And my parents were pretty thoughtful about that. Um, but by the time I was in my early twenties, I knew I was going to work for myself. Um, the last job I ever had was I was a intern at the white house, um, my senior year of college for the Clinton administration. And I remember saying to someone, I said, well, this is the last job I'll ever have. And they mm. said, what do you mean? I said, well, the only reason way you ever get me to come back here is if I was pr- sitting in, in the seat of the president. Um, and at that moment I realized I can't work for anybody else. I don't want to, this is the best job you could have probably in the world working at the, in the highest office of the world. And, and I realized I need to work for myself. So, uh, got into, I mean, long story short, I tried a ton of different entrepreneurial, um, options and activities. I've started at that point, a dozen different businesses, got in the nightclub business, lost my first hundred thousand dollars by the time I was 22 launched a magazine, launched another nightclub business, launched an appraisal services business, but found my way into the mortgage industry in 2000. Um, and by 2003, I started my first company called Twin Capital Mortgage. It's myself and one assistant. Through that 
to become the 40th fastest growing company in the United States on the Inc. 5000. So it was number 40 in the Inc. 5000 in 2007. Um, and I'd done that before the age of 30. Um, unfortunately, the company the company grew to about 10 million in revenue, uh, just a hair under that. And then it basically imploded. Uh, in 2007, the, the mortgage industry imploded, ended up creating the Great Recession, as it's been known. Um, and then I toiled in entrepreneurial purgatory for five years um, and eventually came out of that and grew a couple hundred million dollar company in one of the largest lenders in the United States. And I exited that company uh, two years ago. So that's, that's, a, that's incredible. Really, yeah, it's kind of a quick, quick and dirty version of my entrepreneurial experience. Um, but I along the way, I, I really, I'm a very curious person. It's my number four core value. Um, and, mm. and so I got really curious about well, let me back up for a second. I think most pain, most uh, being a curious per person, whenever you feel pain, you want it to go away and you want to know why it's there. And so when I was growing my first company, Twin Capital, I was at about 30 employees and I was just feeling a lot of pain. And I nicknamed my, myself the firefighter. I was going from like department to department, uh, putting out fires. And I just realized that like, there's got to be a better way. And, and I ended up getting into a program at MIT called the Birthing of Giants, which is one for super high growth entrepreneurs under the age of 40. And it introduced me to this whole world of what are best practices for how do you scale a business. And, and that's what was my first foray into learning about core values. Mm. So let's go right there. You just brought us right there. So you're sitting in the audience and they do an exercise that involves raising hands. That kind of was a light bulb pivotal moment for you. Would you mind sharing what happened? Yeah. So, you know, the room was filled with like some crazy entrepreneurs. I mean, like, like really insane. Like there's a woman here in Austin where I live called named Kendra Scott, who she runs one of them. It's a billion dollar brand. It's owned by partially by Berkshire Hathaway. She ran, she was in that room, not my room, but a room a couple years later and when her business was 1 million in revenue. So 2 million in revenue, something like that. So you have these iconic CEOs that do this program. And so there's a lot of people in the room I respected and it's put on by this gentleman by the name of Vern Harnish. Uh, he wrote a book called Scaling Up. So Vern, it was like 60 entrepreneurs in Vern. And um, <clears throat> I was the last class that he 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 managed or ran it. Um, and so Vern is well-known in the entrepreneurial world. He hand-selects who's in the program. I'm around some of the like best and brightest entrepreneurs in the world. No joke. There's people from every continent in this room who are running amazing businesses. And year one, we're taught we need to have core values. We need to have strategic plans. We need to have great meetings and good cadences and execute and best practices for hiring the right team. And, and so I go home and I scare the shit out of my team and change a bunch of stuff and then come back and then go back again and scare the shit out of my team. And I come back the third time. <laughs> and at that point I'd rolled out strategic planning. I had built core values for my company. I had a a core purpose or mission statement. And I was running huddles and I was running weekly meetings. I was running month end meetings. I was doing all these things. And, um, and I'm sitting in this room and it's graduation night. And these two gentlemen who run a company called the name of it's, it's a up in Vancouver, Canada, uh, named nurse next door. And it's ran by Ken Sims. And at the time, John DeHart, Ken is now the actual mayor of Vancouver. He got elected hmm. mayor, mayor of Vancouver, like two months ago. Um, and these guys are core value like studs. Like they're, they're, they're companies, a core value company. They're best practice. They've, they've figured out, they came out of like Bain and McKinsey and these guys are super smart dudes and they just know how to, they, they're way better at being an entrepreneur than I was at that point. And 
they ran us through an activity list that stand up if your company has core values. So there's 60 people or three years into the program. Everyone stands up. I stand up. They say, okay, everyone's standing up. Stay standing if you can say your company core values off the top of your head. Half the room sits down. And I'm one of those people. And it was like a gut punch. I was like, I felt like shit. And then they said, okay, well, stay standing if your employees can say your core values and they know your core values and can say them off the top of their head. Half the remaining half sits down. And now at this point, I kind of bust out the popcorn and start watching. I'm like, whoa, that's weird. Like, hmm. like they don't, half of us don't know our core values and half of the remaining half, their team doesn't know their core values. Well, that's not right. And then, the, then they said, stay standing if your customers know, know your core values. And everyone sits down. And it was just this aha moment where the only people who were standing were John and Ken. And I said, wow, in a room of high-powered, amazing entrepreneurs who I know care about this stuff, why are we all sitting down? And so you know, that night we went out and celebrated and got crazy and drunk and stuff. And, and the next morning I'm sitting in a, a cafe in, in uh, Cambridge, Massachusetts, like hungover and just kind of like upset with myself. And... um. I said, you know, no wonder I didn't remember my values. First things first, this is right when the iPhone came out. So I pulled up Ken and John's core values and they had four values and they were like 12 words and they were simple and they were easy and they were kind of catchy. And then they had these descriptives that kind of said what they meant. And I was like, well, no wonder I didn't remember mine. Like mine were 76 words, six values. They were long, they were clunky. There was nothing special about them. And I just rewrote them right then. I was like, you know, there's really four things we stand for. Working hard doing the right thing and being innovative and, you know, giving great customer experience. And I just rewrote him. I said, do work, live Zen, break the box. Wow. Everyone. And that was 14 years ago when I came up with that. And I, you know, remember, remember them off the top of my head. Cause they're easy to remember, remember. And that led me down this path of like really rethinking what's a better way to make core values come to life. And I started working on it right then. Hmm. Man. So the rest of this journey that our friends listening and I would love to go on with you today is like, how do we begin to implement these and how do we like, why are these so important? So before we dive into like discovering them and leveraging them, I kind of want to set some of the foundational principles that you talk about in your books. And, and, and one of them is core values equals decisions equals actions equals results. Uh, so I would love for you to kind of share what that means and kind of how you came to that conclusion and why that's so important. Yeah. So, so look, I think that core values, before we go there, I want to say that the 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 conclusion I came to, like from this is 2008 when I had this aha moment in Cambridge. Over the next five years, I really figured out how do you make operationalized values. And the conclusion I came up to was two things: you need to discover them, as you just mentioned a moment ago. That's the easy part, by the way. There's plenty of it's a well-worn path of people that have discovered values that that they don't operationalize. The key to it is you have to design them to become viral and sticky for the organization. Then mm -hmm. you have to go and affect that. And there's, we do it two ways. One is an introduction to the values of core value rollout. And then last but not least, how do you make them alive and well in a, in a way that's easy for the organization? All this has to be easy or else nobody will do it. And then last but not least, you have to measure for efficacy and optimize it in your life. Whether you're doing it in your personal life or your business life, it's the same. Um, and so I figured that out. I figured out how to do that over the next few years. And then I did it. And my next business... I grew that business from 13 to 300 employees in 18 months. And then I grew it to a thousand employees in the next 18 months. And there was this moment about 18 months in when I had grown to about 300 people where I was at a team build and there's like 70 or 80 of my employees there. And I, I just had this moment where I was like, you know, 
I remember back to, to when I called myself the firefighter at twin capital when it sucked and I wasn't doing well. And I was 30 people and, and it was hard, but here I was, I'd grown from 30 to 30, yeah, with 30 to 300 people in a year and a half. And it was easy. Like, like it wasn't hard at all. It was like the easiest growth I ever had. I 10 X my previous like business that was a pain in the ass when it was that, that, that small size. And it was nothing. It was easy. I did it with, without even thinking. And, and I didn't have a lot of the scaffolding that you have at 300. I didn't have an HR department and a marketing department. I didn't have all the things you think, all the things you think I had, I had mostly didn't have any of them. What I had was really strong values. And so I'm sitting there and I'm hearing people at this team build and they're all using core values as the language. Like they're hmm. talking in core value language. And I just had this aha moment where I'm like, holy shit, core values have become the language of my company. So fast forward to five years later, four years later, and I was working with this uh, really well-known coach in here in Southern, uh, in Texas, in Dallas named Dr. David Zellman. And we're doing this really cool program he, he does with people called Transitions. And I'm kind of going through this spot in my life where I'm trying to figure out, you know, how to level up and, and I'm almost 40 at the time. And, um, <clears throat> you know, he asked me a question. He says, Darius, what do you think creates all the results in your life? And I said, I don't know. Is it like the, like the actions we take? And he said, yeah. Okay. Well, what do you think causes you to take the actions you, you take? And I said, um, is it like the decisions we make? Well, he said, well, yeah, well, what do you think makes, like, makes you make the decisions you make? And then he stumped me and I couldn't answer him. So he finally gave me the answer. He said, well, what if I argued that it's the conversations you're having? And I was like, oh, that's interesting. Like conversations equals decisions equals actions equals results. So I started thinking, so I, I, le I left that conversation and I thought about it. We had one more meeting a month later and I, I come back to that meeting and I, and I, and I said, you know, I had a lot of time to think about what you're talking about. And it's interesting. Like I notice when I'm having the right conversations, I love the results. And when I'm having the wrong conversations, I don't like the results, whether that's internally, it's externally, it's in my business, in my personal life. And so it was really interesting. I started realizing if you can kind of control the conversations, whether they're happening internally in your head or with your spouse or with your kids, or your loved ones, or your friends, that you can control the results a little better. Conversations equals results, right? And so fast forward to 90 days after that, we do a postmortem and it's in the new year and he calls me up and he goes, and I, I'm like, listen, man, I've had this epiphany. I said, what, what do you think our conversations are made of? And he says, and now it's like the student becomes a teacher. <laughs> and he's like, and he's like, words. I said, right. And what if I told you, I, I believe that core values have the opportunity to become the language of accountability for an organization. And if your core values are the language of accountability in your language, in your life or in your organization, are they then not the words that you're using? And he's like, yeah. And I'm like, and then wouldn't that make them the conversations that are being had or they're having being had because of the values that are, exist? And he said, yeah. And I said, and then wouldn't that control the decisions you make? And he says, yep, which leads to the actions, which lead to the results. And there's a thing in mathematics called the law of transitive uh, equality, I believe. A Sounds about B, right. <laughs> what is that? Sounds about right. <laughs> yeah, it's A equals B and B equals C and C equals D and D equals E, A equals E. And so that's where the title of the book was born from. It was this epiphany 
based on this coaching I had done and based off of this realization I had that core values are the language of accountability when we use them properly. And if our conversations equal our results, then our core values equals our results. Hmm. So powerful, man. Like I, I always say this, but like hit that back, skip 15, 30 seconds, go re-listen to that. Cause that was just, that's, that's game changing right there. And also um, if you want to explore this topic a little bit more, I was very grateful to interview Robert Tennyson Stevens. who wrote the book conscious language, which was really powerful exploration on how your language creates your reality. And so this is another lens that you can use to modify the words coming out of your mouth, which as Darius just shared creates the results in your life, which is so cool. And you, you had kind of explained in that story about it was so easy for you to go from 30 to 300 employees. If I got the, I might've gotten the numbers wrong, but, but, but you talked about how simple it was. And one of the things you talked about in your book is invisible scale. So I would love for you to maybe just expand on that a little bit more and maybe just kind of double down on this on like what that really means and probably why that was so easy uh, because of invisible scale. Yeah, because like the reality is, is if I can align an organization with a bunch of people who have the same beliefs, and let me take a step back. The the definition of a core value is a fundamental belief of a person or organization. Fundamental belief, the most important belief. So if I get a bunch of people together in a room who have shared the same fundamental beliefs, and let's let's say that I've done that by design, right? And you can do that through your interview process. I have a friend named Rick Gerard that um, I think the name of his book is Career, Career Wounds. Um which he talks about designing a hiring process based off of values of a business. Um, and he's actually built a software for it now. But um, <clears throat> if I can hire, if I can attract people who, who like my values, if I interview for them, if I hire for them, if I onboard for them, and then if I hold people accountable based off of them, what ends up happening is I end up having a group of like-minded people who show up to a job. Well, no one's ever had, I'll use myself as an example. No one has ever had to ask me to work hard for a job I care about, ever. Mm-hmm. No one's had to ask me to go the extra mile. No one's ever had to ask me to double check my work. No one ever asked me to do any of that. I'm, I'm, I'm a star employee, even though I said I was unemployable in the beginning part of the show. Like I'm, I'm a person where it comes in and goes way above and beyond and doesn't leave till the job's done. Well, what happens if I have 300 people like that? then a lot of the bullshit that we have to create in our business to manage underperformers kind of like weeds itself out. And what ends mm-hmm. up happening is, is it's like any winning team. There becomes an unspoken language, which is, this is how we do it here. And, and, but when I can be explicit about it and I train people to it and hold people accountable to it, then this is just how we do it here. And when we have a, this is just how we do it here. And people understand what the, how we do it is, which is part mm-hmm. of the process of onboarding people into values and hiring for the right values. Then organically, you, Brandon, if you're working for me and we share values, I don't have to tell you to hard work hard. You just do it because that's just who you are. Mm-hmm. You know, it's your fundamental belief. I don't have to tell you to care about your work. You're a person that's passionate about the work because that's one of your values, or you believe in my values of showing passion. If I have a core value of results orientation and you share the value of results orientation, guess what? You're going to get the job done until the results are good. Mm-hmm. And, or you're going to raise your hand and ask for help because for you, you can't leave until the job's done. When people share those values, things just happen by themselves. And in the book, we call that invisible scale. And I said, it's like having an invisible manager that's just kind of there. Because what, what I learned early on in my career was I, I did that myself when we were small. I was the core values running around and and kind of double checking people's work and and kind of sprinkling my core values on everybody. But it doesn't scale. The minute you throw a wall up and I'm not in the, in the room with you, you don't see me. I'm not there working and you're watching me work. 
Like I'm a person that your listeners may not like what I'm about to say. I'm a person that doesn't take lunch. The reason I was one minute late to our, to our podcast is because I ran to grab a cheese stick so I could eat something. <laughs> now it's not, not because I don't respect lunch. I'm just a person that I don't need it. I don't want it. I want to get my, I like working. I'll just knock my workout. You know, when I'm done, I'm done. Um, but what happens when I hire a person when nine out of 10 of the people are people that don't take lunch and one out of 10 does take lunch. I don't care how good that one out of 10 is. It's not a good cultural fit. They're going to stand out like a sore thumb. It's going to piss off the other nine. They're going to feel like there's a double standard. And now, and and it's just, it's not like, it's not to say they're a bad person. They're just not a good cultural fit. And so when we have great alignment around values, unspoken, you know it, you, you have it with your family and friends. You don't have to tell them what the values are. You don't want to hang out with someone who's a liar if you believe in honesty. And so you don't. And then you don't have to deal with the drama around that. But in businesses, a lot of times we just hope that people share our values and we don't test for them and we don't diligence for them. And then we get what we get. And then we wonder why there's problems. Um, I'm just a believer in designing for what I want. Yeah. I think people are already getting a sense of the implications of this. And like, I, I think the, the most quote unquote final, cause after going through your book, I've been going through it and I'm iterating on, on my core values, but just in the last two weeks of playing with these, like I've just watched everything change just like in my own life of like making more effective decisions and using it as a guiding principle and a guiding tool to, uh, you know, when, when, a, when something is undefined, like there's wisdom in those core values if that you've built them correctly. So obviously I'm, I'm still iterating, but I think everybody's probably dying to know. And you talked about how it's funny because the core building, the core values that you said is like the easy part. And there's so much gold in your book about once you have it, how do you roll it out into your organization and how do you make it sticky and get people excited about where they're eventually running around wearing pink unicorn track suits <laughs> and like bleeding the organization. Right. So, uh, so much that we could get into, but, but I know at this point people are like, okay, how do I, if I don't have these clearly defined, if I'm not like Darius, I can't talk about the four core values and I would have been one of the people that sat down where do we start so i think you talk about the core value waterfall is obviously it's your book so you go where you want but i think that um would love to start diving into how we can design these as you alluded to before in a way that's user-friendly that that is very applicable and actionable yeah uh you know look like the 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 short the the quick and dirty answer is you buy my book and read it and and, yep. and because, <laughs> it's, because it's it really is a step-by-step -step process like there's you don't have to guess it tells you how to do it um, and I, 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 I try to make it as complete uh, the, the, where the book came from, by the way, was this, I did a presentation. I have a, a guy, I used to be a part of this group called entrepreneurs organization or EO. And I was a mentor, um, for the, for they had a program called accelerator, which is was companies under a million in revenue would come through their accelerator program. And they, they were, it was a feeder program for the, for the, for the group. And I was a mentor for the group. And, and so I, they asked me to come speak on core values. So this is, I don't know, eight, nine years ago. I, I, I went and spoke on values there. And there was a guy who approached me afterwards. And, and it was funny because they, I think, had other people talking about core values that day. And I literally, every if they said go left, I said go right. If they said go up, mm -hmm. I said go down. If they mm -hmm. said go to A, I said go to Z. And he said, every single thing you said, and they were asking me questions They're like, but what about this? And I'm like, that person's a fucking idiot. They've never grown their company to X size. They, the, what their, their answer was right until you double that size and then they're wrong. And I'm just a, one of those rare entrepreneurs that's grown a company from startup to a thousand employees and been the CEO the whole way through. Hmm. Right. So I know what, where stuff breaks. Right. And, and so he comes out to me, he's this orthodontist named David Madroni. And he said, and I kind of like blew his mind. 
right? And he's like, man, will you build my values for me? Now, I'm running at this point like a $75 million company. I'm like, no, man, I'm not building your fucking values for you. <laughs> I like you. You seem like a nice guy, but like, 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 no, it wouldn't make sense for you or me. And then I just realized I liked him a lot. So I said, listen, if you give my wife Invisalign, I'll do it for you. And so... <laughs> fair trade so, yeah you know like it was like it was like you know i, I did it because i really liked him um I, it wasn't about the money but i wanted him to have skin in the game um and so um so i did his i did it he rolls them out they did, did their job they built these really cool values for his company and then he, a couple years later 2018 it's about four or five years later he asked me to come speak at this like conference he was running for orthodontics I'm like, I'm not doing that, man. But again, I like him a lot. So I was like, how many people can be? He says, I don't know, 500 to 1,000 people. I said, all right. I said, you know, I'll do it for you. So I go and I do this whole, I said, but I don't want to do a, a presentation. I want to do a fireside chat and you have to intervene. So he interviews me for in front of like 1,000 entrepreneurs or orthodontists. And um, we have this great presentation, great conversation. And um, afterwards, there's like a line going out the the, the door and of people coming up to me asking me like, Hey, you know, it was really great. Kind of like the conversation we're having is really great. Like, is there a book I can read on this? And I'm like, Nope. They're like, is there a class I can take on this? And I'm like, Nope. By like the seventh time I got asked, I was like, yeah, the book's coming out in June. And so, <laughs> so what I figured out was I'd always been coaching people on how to do it. And so when I wrote the book, it was really around me writing a book. It wasn't because I, I didn't really have an intention of doing anything with the book. I was just writing it for my friends and for other, like, it was like, this is a book that I wish was written when I was, didn't know what to do. And so I wrote it with that in mind of like, what do you need to know if you want to do this? And the book just really spells it out. And and what I tell people is like the first five chapters really gives you background on like how this came to be. I've talked about some of it already. And the, the chapters, you know, six through eight are once you design them and what do you do with them to, to make them, to operationalize them. And to, to make it simple is there's a Japanese word, Brandon, called Shibui. Have you ever heard of this before? Mm. No, I thought Ikigai was going to come out of your mouth, but then Shibui came out and I don't know what that is. <laughs> no, Yeah, it's funny. I interviewed a guy who's who, who, about Ikigai on my podcast that uh, just came out like two weeks ago. His name is Sam Ushio, which is a cool podcast okay. <laughs> all about Ikigai. And I read that book this year. It's a great book. But um, no, um, it's called Shibui. And Shibui means, stands for that there's complexity and simplicity. Mm. I'll repeat that. There's complexity and simplicity. And so I, although I'm a CEO and entrepreneur and I'm, I'm a pretty creative person, honestly, I consider myself a designer. I'm a designer of organizations. I'm a designer of business. I'm a designer of anything in my life. I like to design it and I design for the outcome I want. Mm -hmm. And, and, and I'm a, I'm kind of a minimalist from a design standpoint. I like simple design. I like, I like design that doesn't age out. Um, I like design that works easily i like elegant design so if you think of elegant design you might think of like the iphone or you might think of ipad why is it that a two-year-old could turn an ipad on because it's elegant design it's simple design um, it's a super complex machine if you really think of what it is but it's very elegantly designed so much so that a child can operate it um, and i really took that perspective into how do you create organizational design right and if, and if we start thinking of our businesses as an, a design exercise, then we can start to think of, well, how do I design for what I want? And the conclusion I came to was it's got to be simple, number one. And when you start thinking of your business, especially as an operator, it, there's a lot of complexity in being an operator. 
I call it BAU, business as usual. There's always complexity because things change every day. Clients mad, clients happy, team member quits, team member shows up late, you know, team member shows up and gets into a tiff with the other team member, uh, missing a p- person. I got to step in and do their job. I don't run out of money. You know, there's always things, right? Product doesn't, you know, we have uh, supply chain issues with China because of COVID, you know, you name it. There's tons of complexities. Well, if you layer on top of that, and by the way, I probably described every business out there that's small, you know, or medium sized, um, is that, oh, by the way, I'm going to layer on top of that, this thing you got to memorize called your values. So if you make it difficult, do you think they're going to remember it? Of course not. No way. You got to make it easy. So my answer to everything that I get my team to want to do is around Shibui. There's complexity and simplicity. I have to make it simple. Mm. I have to make it easy. Mm. So if I make it easy and I make it simple and it does the following adds value, what do you think they're going to do, Brandon? They're going to use it. Exactly. So I just got really clear on that through a lot of trial and error. You know, I always joke when I, when I talk to people on shows or whenever I'm helping entrepreneurs, I go, look, I'm not a fucking genius. I'm a person that did the nine wrong ways out of 10 first. And there was one left and then I got it right. Cause there was no other options. And now so, there's a book on it. <laughs> right. So like, yeah, my book is just a bunch of trial and error that didn't work. That didn't, that, that never made it on the paper. Cause you don't care about that part. My, but I do know what works and, and it work and it's real simple. If you want someone to do anything, make it easy for them and provide and make it create value. And, and people will do that. Like whether it's a client, whether it's your team member, make it easy, create value. And so I do that in every step of the way. And the book really walks you through, how do you discover it? Again, discovery is a well-worn path. Plenty of people, there's plenty of people that have talked about discovering values. They taught me they, what they didn't teach. The missing element was how do you design it? to be simple, viral, sticky, and create value. And the book really shows you how to do that. It's got to be simple. It's got to be easy to remember. It's got to be in the language of the organization. And we take you through a process for that. Well, once you build them, what do you do with them? That's, you know, you got to make them come to life. Well, I believe there's two ways to do it. Number one is you got to indoctrinate your team in it, right? And there's and we've designed a really interactive way. Got to make it about them. And, and then we teach that. That's chapter six in the book. And then chapter seven in the book, is really, well, what are ways for me to make it come to life after I've indoctrinated them? We call it core value advertising. You want to put them on the walls. You want to yeah. use these small methods in your huddles. You want to, you know, so there's a bunch of little stuff we recommend. You don't go straight to core value uh, t-shirts and core value symbols and pink unicorn mascot. That's that's the fun stuff and that's later and you don't need to do it. It's a lot of work, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. you can't, that's in the 80, 20, that's the 20 that you do after you've done the 80. You know, hmm. oh, I'm sorry, I had that backwards. That's the 80 you do after you do the 20 we taught, teach in the book. Um, and so we want it to be easy and permanent. And we want people to learn through osmosis because it takes time to learn this stuff. So we talk about how you do that. And then last but not least, once we've done that, we want to measure for, opt- for efficacy and optimization. Why do all this work if it doesn't create value in the business? And so for me, I want to measure for that. We talk about how you do that in the book. But yeah, my, my biggest yeah. recommendation is just read the book. Don't hurt yourself. It's easy read. You can listen to it. It's an audiobook too. And and it really kind of gives it all away. Yeah. And I mean, I I I I feel like I don't say this that often on the show, but like I mean, I because of I I read I don't want to make this for forever, but like I I I every single person that's come on that's had a book, like I've read the book. Like I read, I've read like 50 books this year, like I maybe even more. And I I I wow. ran, I trained for a marathon and I was listening to podcasts on two times speed and like all the audiobooks, you know, so like, I don't even know how much content I've consumed this year, but I would argue without, without fully going through this, that this book is, is like, 
if, if you said Brandon in at the end of, I don't even know when this is coming out, but this is the end of the year in uh, 2022, but like pick this book up. Like I I'm saying, I'm saying that like with, with full conviction, go get the core value equation, a framework to drive results, create limitless scale and win the war for talent. We'll have it linked up in the show notes. And like, I like, obviously we're giving you a teaser. Now you get a sense of the impact of this, but I love thinking about first principles. What are the first principles that are not going to change that you can build from? And like, this is a theme that's come up over and over on the show, you know, go listen to the CEO meetup, David Siegel, when he built C- like that, it's like core values, core values, core values. I have never come across another resource that has been as concise, as powerful, as, as, um, actionable as the core value equation. So there's my like testimonial. I would just, I, I want to put a biggest stamp as I can on this because this is, I already feel the impact this is going to make, uh, in my life using it. So there you go. There's, there's, <laughs> there's, there's that, uh, for you listening, I just stop like right now, stop, go get it. Um, but well, like for the remaining time that we have left Darius, um, let's maybe kind of give them a little bit more of a preview about like what they can expect in it. So like maybe, where do, where, where do you, I'm going to let you guide a little bit here, Darius. Like we could obviously talk a little bit more about some tactical ways that they could pick out like the header and the descriptive and that kind of stuff. But, um, you know, given the fact that we only have, uh, a, a, like 15 ish minutes left, like if you were to give an 80, 20 and you kind of wanted to highlight, I have a few things that I, 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 that stood out to me as like the most important, like when you're rolling them out, like me before we, I thought that was a really important concept. Um, going back to like design, I thought like some of the tests that you talked about, like the hundred year rule and, and, uh, the, the like best team member rule, those are really positive. So I kind of just like vomited at you and I don't normally do that, but like, like, let, what are some of the most effective things that you think people could begin to implement today, uh, as an appetizer for what they'll get in the book? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I really think it's uh, with the book is, I, I can't, I, I hate to go back to the book, but it's like, it's, it's one of those things where listening to this podcast and trying to do it is going to be a, a waste of your time because it's a really, mm-hmm. it's like a, it's like a step-by-step process. And, and, and it's like the, the easiest way to do this is buy the book, read the book, do what it says. Right. And, and, and the book, you know, I guess we'll, I'll take a step back dude, dude, do what I do. It, like a lot of people who fight me on the book, they're like, well, I already have values. And I'm like, yeah. And your values probably suck. I, I'll, I'm going to bet they do like Brandon, by the way, yours are pretty good. I read them this morning. Mm, thank you. I'm um, so far so good. Um, that I thought that they were like, like pretty legit and, and, and rarely it's very rare that I, I even people that read the book somehow, maybe people don't follow directions that well, but they, they tend to get it wrong. Um, hmm. because they don't follow directions well. And, and you did a great job from what I saw, but, um, I always kind of push, push people back and say like, look, if you have values and you're listening to this, your values probably suck. Um, and, and I'll prove it to you. Go ask your team, go do what I did. Go tell you, ask your team, call a random team member, say, don't look at, at anywhere on our website. What are our company core values? And they'll give you one at best, maybe two. And and if that's if that happens, and if, or ask yourself, do I know my company core values off the top of my head? And if the answer is no, or you don't have them, then you don't have them, or you have them, and they they're not good. They're not designed to be known. Um, go line up five people in your company and ask them next to each other, right, and one by one. And if nobody knows them, it means you did a bad job. There's nothing wrong with that. Like you're not a professional core value roller outer. Like nor was <laughs> I. Um, and, and there's nothing wrong with that, but just own it. Like you, you did a bad job, go fix it. Okay. Yeah. And, 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 but, and the same holds true for your personal life. I have core values for my personal life too. 
I didn't have, it took me, it was funny enough for being, I'm a core value evangelist, but I didn't even do my personal core values to 2019. But you should have them in your life. Why? Because it goes back to what I said earlier, Brandon. They're the fundamental beliefs that you live by. You don't mm-hmm. have them spelled out. I asked you what your top five values are as a human being. You don't know them. That's a problem. So mm-hmm. my my perspective is, is everyone should know their values. I actually have a kid's book coming out called What Are Core Values? Love that. That's incredible. Well, I'll, I'll just say too, um, cause I was, I, you know, I, every single week, I'm always so excited about who I get an opportunity to spend some time with. And I, Leah, my wife will be the first to tell you that I'm always talking about the book I'm reading or whatever, but I'm encouraging Leah to read the core value equation and, and to document them. And we're going to document our core values separately and then come together to combine them and what it looks like as we start a family. And I think that is just going to be super powerful just because I think like as, as you raise kids, as somebody that doesn't even have kids, right? Like we're thinking about like kids and and I just think it's so much easier to leverage parenting and 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 all that kind of stuff when you have something that you're, you know, built on together. So I, I just, I think it's so important. So I think hopefully you listening, like take that litmus test, take it seriously. And I think this is one of the most important things you can be focused on. I, I want to maybe let's, let's start with, let's, let's give just a little bit of momentum, Darius. Like I just, I want to get them like, like, like a little bit of a domino, like a, uh, or a, a, the, the gateway drug of core values. If you started this, <laughs> you have to kind of keep going. And so I think designing the headers, that was one of the things that stood out to me in the, in, in your book. It's like, you, you showed your old core values when they didn't work. And I think you said before it was 74 words. Like no one's going to remember 74 words, but like when you said do work lives in, and I'm not remembering the other two, like, like those stand out. And like, those are, you know, the, the, the gateway drug into learning more about them and leveraging them more effectively. So you talk a little bit about the magic number seven plus or minus two, or I would just love for you to share a little bit of insights. It's like, if if you kind of have an idea about what some of those core values are, how can we design effective headers that stick in people's brains that they actually remember and use? Yeah. So I'm going to, I'll just walk you through the, through the process of how I do it. Cause we've done it now, you know, since, since I exited my company, I started doing this for other companies. I always just did it for myself. Um, so we've done, we probably built 20 companies values, maybe more than that at this point. Um, first of all, and, and I don't know if I taught, I, I think I do say this in the book, but, but I figured out that it's kind of boring to read some of the real nitty gritty. So some of this stuff, you know, is you, you, it's hard, it, you know, you really have to follow the directions in the book, but, um, to give you the, the, the teaser you're talking about, here's the process I take people through. Number one is discover your values. You have lots of values and, and values kind of talk to each other. So for me, like I'll use my, and I call these core value themes. So you really want to figure out what are the top five values you have? You probably have 20 values that you live by all the time, but there's really going to be a top five that you care about. You might be able to pair those down to four and we kind of walk you through a process. I don't, the header is the last thing I do. And the header is the thing that everyone remembers. It's the absolute last thing that we do. It's mm. not the first thing. And what I find is people do it backwards. They try to be but be cute and they try to like come up with something catchy where they'll do these fucking acronyms that I hate where they'll be like, my core values care. C is for conscientious. A is for attitude. I'm like, <laughs> shut the fuck up. You know, like, like, like I hate that. I, I get that it's memorable, but it just sucks. Um, so, you know, my, my, my thoughts are first and foremost, get clear on what you stand for. What are your top five? prioritize your top five values. We have a worksheet in the book that if you buy the book, you can download it, or there's a a sheet in the book that you can use. It's 105 values. Pick your top five. What are the things that you would, and and here's how you think about it. What are the things that you want to lose money for to keep remaining true? 
right? Mm. That's that's kind of one way of thinking about about uh, your what, what a core value is. Um, the other way of thinking about a value, we take people through an exercise, which is like best team member, worst team member, is who's someone you never want to work with again? Why? The opposite of that's probably one of your values. Oh, mm-hmm. they're lazy. You're probably hardworking, right? So we take people through this process. Um, but once you do that, then what we do is we say, okay, great. Tell me every single thing that this looks like. If your value is, let's say one of your values is being creative. What does creativity look like? Give me every example. Tell me every person you've worked with that was creative. Why did you love working with them? Why did you hate, who did you hate working with? Why did you hate working with them? The opposite of that's a value. And you'll have this, I call it a brain dump. You get this like list of like 150, 200 statements, words, phrases, anything and everything that attached to that word creative. I'll say, great, pick 10, 10, the top 10 things that stand out out of the the hundred things you wrote. So values is a prioritization process. You prioritize your values. You prioritize how they stand out. You always, always, why I say that is because prioritization is what's, we prioritize what's important. Hmm. And then what I do with folks is I go, okay, great. You pair it down to 10. I go, take it down to six. Out of those 10, what's the six most important? Seven most important. And it gets hard because now you got to like, they're all important, but you got to tell me the top six. And sometimes they can group together because they're similar. Okay, great. Now we got your six. Now you got, what I do is I take people through a creative process. I go translate those into your language. Don't, I don't need sterile brochure language. Say it the way you say it in your life. Make it cool. Make it interesting. So they'll take this phrase like we care, like creativity is about, you know, doing creative things and, you know, being artistic. That's boring language. I would say like creativity is about, you know, lighting my heart on fire with creative movements and, you know, you know, using my brain to create the most artistic representations of, you know, my thoughts. So again, it's, I'm giving a visceral example and they'll do that with those five or six sentences and they'll come up with a descriptive. Once they come up with a descriptive, we, we, we do a lot of testing around that. Like you're talking about, I, I test scenarios like that happened in the business to see if this would tell us what to do. I'll say, is there any product in here? Cause I don't want a product. If you had a, a buggy whip and you're, if you talk about how amazing your buggy whips are, you'd be got a bit, you know, it won't be relevant. You know, they're coming back ago. Darius. I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You wouldn't want to say like, we believe that all of our clients should rewind their videos. It's like, <laughs> like anyone that like anyone that's under the age of 30 probably doesn't know what I'm talking about. Right? I'm 26 and I had VHSs that I returned to Blockbuster. So, so exactly. <laughs> I might be the, I might be the cutoff. Though. <laughs> you're the cutoff, right? You're like Gen Z is the cutoff, right? So, so, you know, you don't want product in there because it ages out. And I say like, these should be relevant as just as relevant a hundred years from now as they are today. And the fundamental beliefs are what we care about. And so we have all these testing mechanisms in the descriptive and we test them, we read them out, out loud, make sure they sound cool, interesting. They're in the language of the organization. Then last but not least, we come up with the headers. I use Miller's law, seven to nine, the human brain can remember seven to nine items plus or minus two or seven items plus or minus two. So nine, I'll, I'll fudge that up to 10 or 11. That's why I can still remember do work lives and break the box while everyone, that's why you knew two of the four. And I just said them once, mm-hmm. you know, my next company people matter was the first one strength of character, inspiring leadership, rock solid service. I'll never forget those because they're easy to remember. Mm-hmm. And, and so that's kind of like the process I take everyone through before we go into the rollout and then making them come to life was we design them to be valuable and easy. Yeah. Love that. Um, do you have time for one more core value question and then we'll kind of like wrap things up? Yeah, I could go for like another 12 minutes. Okay. All right. So a hundred year rule. One thing that I think you make an incredible case for this is like 
you talk about how like once you set these, you don't change your core values. And I think that makes people uncomfortable as thinking about like, oh my gosh, this is set in stone and like I'm never gonna be able to change it. So maybe talk a little bit about the importance of like the hundred year rule or or you could just take that where you want to go with it about like people thinking about wanting to change their core values or not be as flexible in them. Well, I'm going to say something before we talk about that. The reason people get uncomfortable is because they didn't do the work to build the right values. Mm-hmm. None of my none of my clients will go redo their values because they because what I tell people is you should it should take about ten hours to build your values if you build them thoughtfully. If you my process like done thoughtfully is a ten hour process. It doesn't matter what the size of the business. For I did I did core values for a publicly traded company and it took us two full days locked in in a conference room with 12, 12 executives. Two full days. They couldn't believe it when I told them I was going to. I said, I don't know if I'll get it done in two days. This is us working mm. nonstop. Mm. So um, you should expect it's a 10-hour process if done effectively. Um, you know, it's one of the reasons why a lot of people hire us because it's like they they, 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 they kind of don't know. They start cheating the process. So imagine you spend 10 hours doing all the things I just said, following my process. You think that you're not going to have something that's solid? That you're going to be willing to no, you're going to have something that's awesome. There's no change. There's no reason to change them, because we've already done all the work to make sure they're timeless. They don't have product in them. They're what you really stand for. They're written in a way that resonates. I mean, if anything, it's like they're kind of like your own Mona Lisa. You're not going to do we go change the Mona Lisa now? No, that's your own masterpiece. Like it's it really is. If you've spent the time and done the work, you get something that's incredible. And when you get something that's incredible, what the hell is there to change? Well, you're going to suddenly stop caring about caring. You're going to suddenly not be a person that stands for integrity. No, no, Darius, we're not a company that cares about giving great service anymore. Really? Bullshit. <laughs> so, or use my personal values. My number one value is happiness. Am I going to, is there going to be a point in my life where you're like, you know, I'm not really about having happiness anymore. <laughs> Guarantee you not. My number two value is about giving love and being loved. Like love is my second value. Does that ever going to change? Not till the day I fucking die. Mm-hmm. My number three is passion. I call it eye of the tiger. That's never changing. I will die a passionate person. Number four, creativity. Number five, curiosity. Number six, balance. None of those are ever changing for me. I will always be that human being. So when you do the work, you're not changing. I'm sorry. You might evolve a little bit. But I think that what people don't want to ch- when I think the reason they want to change them is because they didn't do the work to really figure out what they were. And then, and of course you're going to be uncomfortable owning them for a hundred years. You didn't do the work, hmm. but if you do the work, you stay out of the tactical core value waterfalls. You talked about 30,000 for level, the highest thing I stand for 10,000 for level. What's it look like at a very high level? Not the highest of the one word, but the descriptive four to six, eight sentences that really say what, what this looks like in my life. If you do the work, you're not going to want to change it because it's going to, it's like, it's like writing a book. You're not going to go change a book after you write it. Mm-hmm. So I just think that the people that want to change it or get uncomfortable changing it, it's because they didn't do the work. Yeah. I love that. And I know, I know one of your core values is, is, is movie night. I heard you make a mad pizza. So um, maybe, maybe we'll have to, the last few minutes, you could tell us your pizza recipe. Just kidding. Uh, <laughs> but so I, don't, I, 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 you don't divulge that you'd have to kill no, me. No, if you gave you me know, my, my, my wife, my wife, I, I could tell you a couple hints on pizza. One of the things, <laughs> sure, pizza, let's go there. <laughs> one of the things that pizza people fuck up on pizza, the, the, there's two things I think people fuck up on pizza. I'm a pizza fanatic, like big time. <laughs> <laughs> uh, they put too much cheese on the pizza. So they put way too much cheese on pizza. 
uh, they put too many toppings on and, and, it, and, and then you have this imbalance. So it gets soggy or like, uh, they put, or, or, and then the other thing is, um, they, they don't, they don't let the dough, if you're making pizza, we make our own dough. Um, they, they don't, they don't, um, let the dough like rise enough. And so it's mm. not chew- It doesn't get chewy that way. And and the last is controlling the pizza. Actually, making good pizza is super complicated. Um, it's it, you would you you'd be surprised. I've been I I make pizza every single Friday night, and I've been doing it now for three and a half years. And my pizza now is way better than it was when I started. And and but I still fuck up half the pizzas I make. Yeah. That's that's we do. That's actually a tradition uh, with my parents. We do grilled pizza, and we probably do that once a month, maybe it, like maybe a little bit more in the summertime when it's nice to grill out and that kind of stuff. And mm-hmm. it is it is a science. And uh, I've spent some time living in Italy, and you see how much heart they put into figuring out the the really minute details of the perfect crust and all that all that good stuff. So, oh. well, D- Darius, I, there's there's one question I love to ask guests to conclude things, and then we'll say goodbye for today. But I, I love to hear your perspective. You talked about your number one core value is happiness for you personally. And uh, I would love to know what happiness means for you. So maybe that's as simple as you sharing your, <laughs> your number one core value, but what is your definition of what happiness means for you today, Darius? Yeah. You know, I, I, um, <clears throat> happiness is, is, is fleeting. Right. And so um, I, I struggle with my first and last value the most. I struggle to be happy and I struggle with balance. Um, what I've come to the conclusion of is, is, happiness is is a state of mind you own it you're in control of it it's hard to be happy and it's easy to be happy um but i think a big part of it's around being present and being and and owning your presence and i came up with this this formula i call the fulfillment formula a couple years ago and 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 when i work with entrepreneurs and ceos which i do at least right now um i really focus on three things are you working in your talents, right? Cause we work, working in our talents gives us purpose. So am I working in my talents? Am I living in my values? <clears throat> am, and, 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 and then am I doing it with a high level of awareness? Hmm. And, and, and I break awareness down into f- four sections. Number one is, do I have a mind mindfulness practice that I do consistently? Am I exercising consistently? Am I eating well, like healthy? And am I getting enough sleep? So that, that if I'm doing that, then usually I show up as my best self. And if I'm showing up as my best self and living in my values, and if I'm living in my values and working in my talents, then I'm usually a pretty happy guy. Yeah. So that, Beautiful. That's, that's how I, that's, 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 a, and, and all those things are a moving target that constantly I'm fighting to ma- remain true. And I'll, and I'll, a- I'll end on this. So are your values. You're, you're not going to, it's not just because you learn your values doesn't mean suddenly it's like, they're always there and perfect. It's that they become a filtration tool for decision-making. And usually the easy decisions don't require your values. It's the hard ones. So for me, it's around, to your point earlier, it's around staying true to who you are. And like uh, I've learned I'm 44 years old. So I'm, you know, a little older than you are. Um, and the journey of going from, you said you're 26. Yes, sir. Yeah. So I was a year younger than you when I started my first company that blew up and got, got big. Um, you'll blink and you'll be 44. Like no, 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 no doubt. Like, so any 26 year old that's listening, that's like, Oh, that's, a, that's ages away. It's like blink. We'll talk. You'll be 44. Um, you'll blink. You'll be 44. So you got to enjoy the moment and, 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 and really, I think getting clear on what our fundamental beliefs are, learning what our talents are, 
not trying to hustle for these superficial outcomes. I think when we do that and do it in a way that's true to us, that, that you end up being me when you're 44 years old and you don't give a fuck what anyone thinks because you're being true to yourself. And that's, and when you can do that, life's a good place. Mic drop, not adding anything on top of that besides, I think the number one call to action that I've emphasized is go list, go check out the core value equation. It'll be linked up any, anywhere else that they can check out your work, Darius, if they want to explore more. Yeah. I mean, the best place to connect is go to uh, like the website, the real Um, my webs, uh, my podcast right now is, which is a uh, top 10 Apple podcast for business and top five for entrepreneurs, the greatness machine. That's a good place to just hear me. I, I do a lot of solos where I do a lot of just teaching. Mm. Um, and then I do a lot of interviews. Like we just interviewed Gabby Reese, uh, Gabrielle Reese, the former like beach volleyball pro. And uh, that's up. That one just came out two days ago, but yeah, a lot of great, great people were interviewing on that show. But, um, and I, and I always tell people, Brandon, um, the average podcast listener listens to six podcasts. So it's never, never taking away from someone else. It's always adding. So mm-hmm. yeah, check out my podcast, go to my website, check out the book books everywhere where, where, where books are sold. Amazing. 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 I'm just going to have a conversation with you listening right now. And I just want to say you could be listening to any other show. We talked about just having six shows, but you're listening to this one right now. And you're still listening to my voice, which means that you've been on for one hell of a journey. We've we've talked about cleaning bathroom toilets all the way to running a thousand person organizations and creating these uh, core values that really serve as the backbone for so much uh, good and so much impact that can be created in the world. And so I'm so grateful that you're here. And my ask for you is if you're listening to this, you can absolutely change someone's life if you share this episode. And I have no doubt that this episode can absolutely change someone's life. So it would make my day. It would make Darius's day. It would make the world's day. If you share this with one person that, that really could resonate with this message and leverage core values to create a more beautiful life. So, um, thank you so much for being here and, uh, Darius, any final things you want to say before we, we hit end for today? No, I'm good, man. Thanks for having me on the show, Brandon. It's been fun. You're a pro. Glad to do this. Appreciate you, brother. We'll talk to you soon.